And amen. Welcome again to Christ Church. Good to be worshiping with you all this morning. I was just thinking as we have the confession of sin kind of right before the sermon and uh, you know, that we kind of, in this worship service, get the sins over with at the end. We're forgiven. We're God's people. And, you know, that's a real, I was just thinking that's a real blessing to me as well as I come and uh, give you God's word that I know my sins are forgiven and that uh, God deals with me in his grace, even as a pastor and, uh, and as his representative, giving you his word. So, uh, so it's just a blessing to be with you and to share in God's grace with you. Uh, we're looking at the book of Genesis. If you have a... Uh, Bible with you. You can turn to Genesis 4. We're in Genesis 4. We're uh, looking at the first 11 chapters of Genesis between uh, kind of September and Christmas. Let's, uh, let's read. Let's look at God's Word. We're in uh, Genesis chapter 4. This is a long passage. <clears throat> Two genealogies in here, I think. Uh, so um, uh, it will be riveting as I read it to you. The, um, uh, but it's, it's uh, chapter 4, verse 17 to the end of Chapter 5, this is God's word. Cain knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Enoch. When he built a city, he called the name of the city after the name of his son, Enoch. To Enoch was born Irad, and Irad fathered Mehujael, and Mehujael fathered Methushael, and Methushael fathered Lamech. And Lamech took two wives, and the name of one was Adah, and the name of the other was Zillah. Adah bore Jabal, and he was the father of those who dwell in tents and have livestock. His brother's name was Jubal. He was the father of all those who play the lyre and pipe. Zillah also bore Tubal Cain. He was the forger of all instruments of bronze and iron. The sister of Tubal Cain was Naamah. Lamech said to his wives, Adah and Zillah, hear my voice. You wives of Lamech, listen to what I say. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for striking me. If Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then Lamech's is seventy-sevenfold. And Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son and called his name Seth. For she said, God has appointed for me another offspring instead of Abel, for Cain killed him. To Seth also a son was born, and he called his name Enosh. At that time people began to call upon the name of the Lord. This is the book of the generations of Adam. When God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. Male and female, he created them, and he blessed them and named them man when they were created. When Adam had lived 130 years, he fathered a son in his own likeness after his image and named him Seth. The days of Adam after he fathered Seth were 800 years. And he had other sons and daughters, thus all the days that Adam lived were 930 years, and he died. Then Seth had, uh, when Seth had lived 105 years, he fathered Enosh. Seth lived after he had fathered Enosh 807 years, and had other sons and daughters, thus all the days of Seth were 912 years, and he died. When Enosh had lived 90 years, he fathered Canaan. Enosh lived after he fathered Canaan 815 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Enosh were 905 years, and he died. Then Kenan had lived, uh, when Kenan had lived 70 years, he fathered Mahalalel. Kenan lived after he had fathered Mahalalel 840 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Canaan were 910 years, and he died. When Mahalalel had lived 65 years, he fathered Jared. Mahalalel lived after he fathered Jared 830 years 
and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Mahalalel were 895 years, and he died. When Jared had lived 162 years, he fathered Enoch. Jared lived after he fathered Enoch 800 years and had other sons and daughters. And thus, all the days of Jared were 962 years, and he died. When Enoch had lived 65 years, he fathered Methuselah. Enoch walked with God after he fathered Methuselah 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Enoch were 365 years. Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. When Methuselah lived 187 years, he fathered Lamech. Methuselah lived after he fathered Lamech 782 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Methuselah were 969 years, and he died. When Lamech had lived 182 years, he fathered a son and called his name Noah, saying, Out of the ground that the Lord has cursed, this one shall bring us relief from our work and from the painful toil of our hands. Lamech lived after he fathered Noah 595 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Lamech were 777 years, and he died. After Noah was 500 years old, Noah fathered Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Good work, following along on that. Let's pray together. Our Lord, we thank you uh, for your word. And uh, we come to uh, a passage like this, trusting in you that you've put it here for a purpose and that you have uh, something for it to tell about our lives living here in Bellingham. We need your spirit to be our teacher. So come and uh, be with us, instruct us in your word. Lord, I do thank you that I come and teach your people as one whose sins are forgiven. For, Lord, you know my sins are many before you. And uh, we just rejoice in the grace of Jesus, who does bring us into your presence and uh, has opened a way to us for you. So point us to him during this time, and we ask in Christ's name, amen. Amen. (coughs) So the other day, I, I took my kids to a park nearby a house called Franklin Park. It's kind of a windy, foggy, or blustery kind of Bellingham fall day. But there was another family who, you know, were bringing their kids out into the cold to go play. And, and our kids were playing, and I got talking with the, the other couple. And, you know, they were saying, you know, what do you do? And they asked me what I do. And I said, oh, I'm a pastor. I'm starting a church. And, uh, and you know, it's a, it's a funny thing about telling, being a pastor. You tell people you're a pastor. They, people feel this kind of obligation to tell you where they stand on you know, religion, this is where, you know, just so you know, this is where I am. I, maybe just because let's, let's not have a discussion about this. I have this settled. This is where I am. Or, I mean, which isn't a bad thing, you know, because sometimes it, people might say, you know, I haven't been to church in a while, and I'd like to get back. And it, so it's, it's, sometimes it's a good conversation starter. But uh, for this guy in particular, I, uh, I told him he's a pastor, and it was obviously not that, you know, the most exciting thing that he'd heard that I was a, that I was a pastor. Um, and so he's trying to figure out a way to, uh, to still regard me as a human that he could have a conversation with. And so he's like, well, you know, my in-laws are, he, my wife's dad is a pastor. They live in Vermont, and they actually started a church. And, and you know, it's, it's really because of them that I can have some respect for Christianity. And, and you know, they, and I guess they have this... Uh, uh, retreat center where you can kind of, you know, get away, get out into nature, uh, clear, you know, spend some time with the Lord and stuff like that. And he said, you know, I, I think that seems like a pretty good thing for uh, to kind of detach people from the superficial world. 
And, uh, you know, it's one of those times when I, I said, hmm, cool. And, you know, you wish you, later you think, oh, I could have kept this conversation going. And, and what I would have asked him if I could go back there is, you know, what do you mean by the superficial world, uh, by the world? Um, because he probably doesn't mean the earth, right, when he's talking about the world, because he's going out into nature and, uh, you know, looking at the hills and the mountains, and, and I, he probably doesn't think that that's superficial. And, you know, this guy actually, he has one of the premier gardens in the York neighborhood, which is, that's saying something. You know, he's, I doubt he would say his garden was superficial world. So uh, what, what's the superficial world? Well, I think uh, his, his use of that word world is probably similar to the way, you know, Christians often use the Bible use the word world. We often use the world, you know, uh, is the world is the place where humans are doing stuff, right? So they're making things, they're, they're doing things, uh, and, you know, the Bible says humans are, are re- in rebellion against God and they're sinful, and so, uh, so a lot of the things that we're doing are kind of problematic, and so that's, as Christians will often say, oh, this, you know, that person's very worldly. Um, they're involved in some kind of human activity. I think it's probably, uh, um, worldliness is probably generally connected by people to cities, Right? That's where people are doing stuff. That's where business is happening. That's, you know, the arts, uh, money, um, uh, thinking, uh, sexuality. All these things are kind of happening. That's where the world, you know, that's why we've got to get out to Vermont. That's how you detach yourself from the superficial world. And, um, what's, uh, and the city is kind of, you know, it's the center of culture, human culture. Humans making something of the world. And what we have in our passage is the development of the first city. Um, look again at verse uh, 17. Cain knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Enoch. When he had built a city, he called the name of the city after the name of his son, Enoch. Uh, so Cain, uh, actually, I think that's Enosh, isn't it? Uh, Enoch, no, Enoch. Um, so Cain uh, is the first city builder. Um, and what this passage shows us uh, is that with the building of the first city comes the beginning of worldliness. One of the things that's interesting in this passage is that the call, the burden of this passage is not for us to detach ourselves from the superficial world. To detach ourselves from the place where humans are doing stuff, where, where they're active from city life. That's not what's happening. Actually, Jesus calls us, you know, in a famous passage in, in Gospel of John, uh, that we're, to, we're supposed to be in the world, but not of the world. We're supposed to be in the world, but not of the world. And uh, that's really what I want us to consider as we look at this passage, is first think about what is the world, what, is this, what does it mean, where is it, and secondly, how do we be in it, but not of it? And so we're going to be looking at those two questions, but um, now I need to make a li- take a little aside, it's about a page of my notes aside, because there are some questions that come up in this passage that aren't really the burden that I want to talk about, but I, I don't want to leave them unaddressed. And the first is the question of polygamy. Um, you know, uh, we have in this passage the first uh, um, re- record of a polygamist there in verse 19 at the beginning. And Lamech, Lamech is Cain's great-great-grandson, took two wives. And the name of one was Adah, and the name of the other was Zillah. Um, and, you know, a lot of people wonder, does the Bible endorse polygamy? You know, you have all these people in the Bible who have polygamous, polygamous relationships. And, and I think, generally speaking, how the Bible uh, treats 
polygamy is kind of, it's, in my experience, it's kind of like that show Sister Wives. I don't know if any of you have seen that. I think it's on TLC or something. It's about this Mormon family. It's this guy. He's got four wives. And, uh, you know, it's a reality show, and it shows their life. And I, even though they, they play all this kind of happy music behind it, my uh, in, <laughs> takeaway from it is just disgust that um, there's this trying to put on this show that um, these sisters are all happy and, and love each other, but there's, you know, I mean, it comes out. There's this sense of jealousy, and uh, the polygamy is never a good situation. And that's actually generally the way the Bible uh, always portrays polygamy as an unhappy arrangement. And, um, and even here uh, in verse 23, you know, you have Lamech. He says, he says this, Lamech said to his wives, Adah and Zillah, uh, hear my voice. You wives of Lamech, listen to what I say. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for striking me. If Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then Lamech's is seventy-sevenfold. So, so he's basically, I mean, this is a conceited scoundrel who says, yeah, I got two wives, I killed this guy. Um, Lamech is, is not portrayed well. And so, the, you know, the Bible always kind of deals with polygamy that way. It never paints a good picture of the polygamy. And then finally, in the New Testament, uh, Paul says that if you're going to be an elder in the church, then you have to be a one-woman man, is, the, is what he says. And uh, so that kind of sets the new precedent for the church, that the examples in the church are going to be one-woman man, no polygamist. But, you know, you might ask the question, why doesn't the Bible ever, ever explicitly just condemn it? Why doesn't it, you know, it shows that it's bad. Why doesn't it just come out and say it's bad? Well... Polygamy is kind of a lose-lose situation for a woman because being in a polygamous relationship is bad news. But if the guy says, oh, okay, no more polygamy, see you later, uh, pushes her out the door, she might be, become a total outcast socially. And, uh, and so for, she's got a lose-lose. And, and so if you just say polygamy is forbidden, then it's justifying all these men just kicking wives out on the street and say, okay, well... I can't have you. So, so really what the Bible does is it, it gets inside of a culture and transforms it inside, from the inside. That's, you know, that's what the Bible's done with slavery. Um, that's what the Bible's done with polygamy is it comes from the inside. Instead of a top-down, uh, let's change the culture, let's come from the inside and transform it. And that's what the Bible does. So even here, polygamy is, uh, is, is bad news. Um, the second question that comes up is these uh, extraordinary long lives of the people in the genealogy. I, Methuselah is the, uh, the, the granddaddy, six, six, uh, nine, six, 969 years. So 31 more years, he could have had a millennium birthday, you know. That, that would have been pretty sweet. Uh, uh, millennium birthday. Um, and, uh, you know, what the Bible says is that at, at, after the flood, the flood happens. We're going to be looking at that in the next few weeks. Um, the flood happens, and then there's this drastic reduction in, in the lengths of people's lives, and they now and they start having lives kind of the age that we see them now. And um, you know, we under, we ask, what do we do with that? You know, people try to find different ways to deal with these numbers. Like they say, oh, maybe 696 years isn't Methuselah's life, but maybe the clan that came out of Methuselah—that's how long that clan was around. Um, there's a lot of problems with these. They, they generally don't work because Genesis, we have other genealogies, and it just uses the guy's age of his life. Um, and so um, I think uh, it's trying to communicate people who lived a long, a long time. Um, and so let me just tell you kind of how I deal with it. Um, 
I think that the reason that these long lives are problematic for us is because we consider that our, our experience of how long a life should be is what we consider to be normal. We say, uh, well, people live 80 years, that's normal. And so these long lives must be abnormal. Now, generally, in a lot of other things, we actually take the Bible as what's normal and say, you know, oh, you don't, you don't love people? Loving people is what's normal. You're not normal. Even though the majority of humanity doesn't do it, you're the one that's not normal. And the fact is that what the Bible says is that for Adam, you know, Adam and Eve, uh, God made Adam and Eve, God made humanity, death was not normal. That was not what was planned for them. And, uh, and death was a parasite. Death was something that came in and ruined and corrupted, corrupted life. And so, um, and in fact, uh, you know, basic kind of Christian belief is that what God did for Jesus when he raised Jesus' body from the dead, God is going to do for us as Christians. That's, I mean, that's just the basic gospel. And that our bodies are going to live forever in his new creation. And so what, what that tells us is that uh, that's what God's expectation is, not death. And so, you know, when we look at a passage like this, we shouldn't be saying, what's wrong with those guys living 969 years? We should be looking at us saying, what's wrong with us? Only living, you know, you know my, dad, my dad's 70. You know, he'd love to go, you know, take me out on the tennis court and, uh, <laughs> and take me down. Yes, he would. <clears throat> he'd love to take me down on the tennis court. And, you know, Methuselah looks at my dad and he's like, you know, you're, in, you're an adolescent, like, you know, <laughs> seven years old. You can't, uh, you can't go on the tennis court. And so uh, I think that um, this passage really opens us to the hope of the gospel, um, that what's wrong with us that we're decaying so quickly. And, uh, and it points us to that God really has a hope. The hope is big of the gospel. What God did in Jesus, I mean, that's really the fundamental of what we believe. God raised Jesus' body from the dead. That's the basic. And that his body's still alive. And uh, so that challenges, it's, it's an invitation to us to hope in that. So those are kind of two, you know, brief dealing with those two issues. But the, the real burden, I think, of this passage is, um, is, Jesus, is, is connected to Jesus' command to be in the world, but not of the world. So first, um, let's talk about what is the world. Um, last week I was... My mom and I were having coffee uh, down at uh, Starbucks down in, in Bellevue. They live down in Bellevue. And uh, we were talking about, I, I don't know how it came up, we were talking about Jane Goodall, who's, uh, um, you know, she works with the chimps, and she's done like 45 years of intense time with chimps, and, uh, living with them in Africa. And um, she, you know, she's found that, that chimps and humans have all kinds of, you know, they're really similar sociologically, and they, uh, they, you know, they use tools and things like that. And actually, I just read a, a, a BBC um, uh, article about, you know, some lab over in Michigan or something where they found that the, the genetic code of a chimp and a human is uh, 99.4% the same, a, a chimp and a human. And, uh, you know, so as we're talking, we're talking about Jane Goodall, and, and just through the window right there, um, parked is a, you know, a little Honda. It's like a Prius or something, one of those little Hondas. And you think, you know, okay, uh, humans and chimps, only 0.6% different. And yet the chimps, you know, they're opening a nut on a rock, you know, uh, and we're taking rocks and making them into Hondas, you know, uh, forging, uh, you know, precision, um, 
you know, making pipes and, and uh, engineering and everything's perfectly, all the precision, the paint job and the aerodynamics, everything's sought through. And you say, that's in 0.4%. You get from opening a rock, you know, opening a nut on a rock to making Hondas. And uh, that there's something different. That something's happened in, in humans. And, uh, you know, actually, the old, the old, some of the oldest art, you know, artifacts that we have of humans, right, are... Uh, cave paintings, uh, you know, in France and stuff like that, um, uh, of cavemen who are, who are uh, doing paintings on wall. You know, G.K. Uh, Chesterton, who's a, he, from about 100 years ago, he was a journalist. And, you know, he, this was, that was one of the main reasons why he didn't believe in evolution, is he said, you don't, you don't see apes becoming gradually better painters. You know, all of a sudden, artists show up. Humans are artists. And, you know, anthropologists look at those paintings, they say, you know, there's no practical purpose to this. There's no, you know, these, you had, they had to crawl way down in these dangerous caves. There's no light in there. And they're like, I want to paint a reindeer on a cave way far away. You know, it had some religious transcendent uh, experience, meaning to it. And uh, there's, there's no meaning because uh, what humans want to do is they want to make something of the world. And um, humans have uh, a drive, uh, you know, etched deep in them uh, to be sub-creators. Yeah, we don't want to just, I don't want to just open a nut on a rock. I want to make something in the world. You know, if you were here last, last week, Andy was talking about, Andy and Nick just opened a, a dessert uh, shop downtown called Pure Bliss. You know, I don't know how many of you went in there beforehand and have seen kind of a before and after. And what, it's, it's totally transformed. It's beautiful. And, uh, and what you have is all this heart, imagination, paint, friendships, uh, cooking, so much of taking God's created world, created earth in, in material, and now they've become creators with God, sub-creators with God, creating things, making things. And, you know, she's here just full of joy that, that she got to be a part of that. She got to do something. She got to make something with her hands. And uh, what that is, um, is a making of, of artifacts that humans want to do that, whether it's cave paintings or Hondas or, you know, pure bliss, building a business. This is, uh, this, this is, culture, the making of artifacts, that's what, that's what we're doing, that's what Andy's doing, that's what the Honda is, it's an artifact, making cultures, making clothes, making food, uh, making instruments, um, that's what humans do. And all these things, we take a piece of God's world and we make something of it. And so, you know, the Bible says the reason for this is because we're made in God's image, right? So God's a creator, God's creative, so we want to be like God, and so we, uh, we take things and we create things so that we'll be like God. And yet, um, uh, being an image bearer, what that means, bearing the image of God, means that we're kind of like uh, mirrors, angled mirrors, that we reflect to the world around us what God is like. That's what, we're, that's what it means to be human, is to show the world around us the glory of God. So when Paul says in Romans 3, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, what he's talking about is that you are made to be an image bearer and, and, and we don't reflect God's image perfectly. But what's interesting in this passage is that you have the great-great-grandchildren of Cain. Cain is this unrepentant murderer. Uh, his line, his uh, genealogy in this passage kind of represents worldliness, uh, rejection of God, rebellion against God. Excuse me. Um, and look again at what it says in verse 20. These are his two. Uh, Adah is, is one of his wives. Adah bore uh, Jabal. He was the father of those who dwell in tents and have livestock. His brother's name was Jubal. He was the father of all those who play the lyre and pipe. 
Zillah also bore Tubal Cain. He was the forger of all instruments of bronze and iron. The sister of Tubal Cain was Naamah. Now, um, if you think of a culture of a city, what happens in a city? What happens where in the world where people are doing things? Uh, it's all right here. You know, you have Jubal. He's, he's the father of all those who play the pipe and the lyre. He's, he's a musician. He's the beginning of the arts. The, whole, uh, the father of the whole culture of the arts. And you have Tubal Cain who takes uh, uh, bronze and iron and makes instruments out of them. He's, he, that's technology. Taking the, you know, that's the beginning of Hondas. You know, if you've got an iPhone, thanks to Volcane for your iPhone. Uh, he's the beginning. Flat screen TVs, right? That's the, taking the, the earth, taking the ground, and making instruments, making things out of it. And, uh, and then even uh, the first guy, uh, Jabal, it says that you know, he's lived in tents and he had livestock. Um, he's the father of all those who lived in tents and had livestock. But we know that Abel was already a shepherd. So this guy isn't the first shepherd. What he is, was he, he had livestock, he had herds, he had all different kinds of animals, and then he would go and sell them. So he's, he's a businessman. He's, a, uh, he's taken animals and he's business. So you have business, you have technology, you have the arts. And uh, even this sister, you know, this, there's this little mention of Tubal Cain's uh, sister, Naama, which doesn't say what she does, but her name means gorgeous. So, uh, you know, maybe this is an allusion to kind of sexuality, uh, fashion, and, uh, I mean, there, that's all the life and culture of a city right there, right? Uh, business, technology, the arts, sexuality, you know, maybe, maybe uh, education, I don't know what else would be in there. And, uh, and this, is all the, this embodies all the things that the Bible means by the world, money, sex, power, uh, the longing for uh, transcendence that we experience in the arts. And um, I think that all these things are very likely what my neighbor was talking about when he talked about the superficial world, detaching ourselves from the superficial world. All these things, technology, business, let's get away. We want to detach ourselves from that. And someone might, on the surface, look at this passage and say, that's what this passage is saying. Look, at this is the line of Cain, and they're all the city people. And then, you know, and there's the line of Cain, and then it offers the other line, which is Seth. And this is what it says, verse 25. And Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son and called his name Seth. For she says, God has appointed for me another offspring instead of Abel, for Cain killed him. To Seth was also, uh, was also, uh, also a son was born, and he called his name Enosh. At that time, people began to call upon the name of the Lord. So here you have the line of Cain. They're the culture makers. They're the city people. And then you have the line of Seth. They're the, uh, they're the people who call on the name of the Lord. They're, the, they're the, uh, the people that are detached from the superficial world. They're the good Christian people. And um, what's interesting, uh, so we might on the one hand say that God wants us to detach ourselves from the superficial world. But the thing is that each one of those things that these guys in the line of Cain do is incorporated in Israel's worship. Uh, herds, uh, artists, um, pipes and uh, making music, the arts, all of these things, God says, I want to use these for you to worship me. So there's not a, he, he wants all these things. These are all good things. God is giving to non-Christians, un, people who don't acknowledge God, he's just giving them gifts, things that they get to be good at. That's what we see in the world, is God just giving gifts, not just to his people, but to all people. People get to be good at good things. And so what's the difference between these two lines? What's the difference between the worldly and the godly? Well, you know, if you're, you know when you're, uh, 
you come, you, let's say you come into SeaTac, you fly into SeaTac, and you're driving up I-5. And you know there's that, I, any, however many times I do this, it always kind of uh, takes my breath away, I don't know. Uh, you're coming up I-5, you come around that bend, and all of a sudden there's, there's Seattle. Uh, and it's just like, boom, like, whoa, I forgot that was there. And you got, uh, you know, Safeco Field, Quest, the Columbia Tower, cities, and the whole thing, you know, you come in, you're like, whoa. You know, the port, the water, then you're like, the cars, you're like, important stuff going on here. This is an important place, right? Like, buildings, the whole buildings, the people, they're saying, hey, we're, there's important stuff going on here, uh, you know. Be ready. Are you ready? This is serious stuff, okay? Buildings, business, money, um, uh, industry, the arts. And I think um, that it's that question of importance. That's the difference between the line of Cain and the line of Seth. Is, is how, you know, what is the thing that kind of um, uh, burns in us important stuff? You know, um, uh, you know, that's really the call of Jesus to be in the world, but not of the world. What is the thing that, you know, I want you to be in. These are good things. Business, um, uh, the arts. Uh, you know, in Bellingham, it might be things like, you know, mountain biking, uh, your garden, uh, whatever it is, whatever the thing that captures your heart. You know what you're kind of serious about? Like, hey, don't make jokes about this. this is, I'm, this is serious. I'm, I'm into this. This is an important thing in my life. Jesus is saying being in the world, if not of the world, is, is recognizing that these are good things. But they're not the ultimate thing. What is the thing that really makes you serious and say, this is something I really want to, um, this is the thing that's defining me. This is the thing that's driving me. And Jesus says it needs to be him. That's the difference. So the question that we're going to ask is how, um, how do we be, you know, so first, what is the world? The world is just a place where humans are doing stuff. <laughs> that's what it is. You know, city happens to be one place. But you, can, you can be worldly out in the country, too. Um, and uh, so how do we be in the world, but not of the world? And uh, that's, that's our second point. Um, you know, this, this past week, Art and I, were, we went down to a, he came, with, he came with me to a pastor's conference. I had a free ticket to a conference down in, in, uh, in Renton. And, and uh, so he came along with me. And while, when we were driving back, this was kind of a, one of the topics we were talking about, this, this thing of, of things that, become really important, serious stuff in our life that aren't Jesus. And, you know, like, for me, you know, this is kind of ironic, but a big part of my life is preaching, giving sermons. You know, that's a big part of my week, writing a sermon every week. Um, And, you know, that's a culture-making activity. I'm taking the Bible, I'm taking experiences, things I've read, and I'm I'm creating something out of it as a creating, uh, culture-making kind of thing. And, um, and, you know, for me, that, that... Ironically, um, talking about Jesus can become more important than Jesus. Um, you know, that if, if the thing, you know, what is the thing that really derails me, that uh, um, devastates me? Is it, you know, I didn't feel like I gave a good sermon? You know, do, if I give a mediocre sermon and I'm depressed about it, um, when the Bible says that the Lord delights in his servant, the Bible says the Lord delights in his servant. And I'm depressed because I, I, my priorities. Jesus wasn't enough. This has become the serious thing. This is the thing that really matters. And, you know, and Art was talking about, he's, Art's, I don't know if you know Art's like one of the best rock climbers in Bellingham. And uh, 
he's, he didn't know I was going to say it. Um, but, you know, that's, uh, you know, that's a similar thing of like, hey, this, you know, he probably talked to Diana, like, hey, don't joke around about, about rock climbing. It's, it's serious. Okay, like, it's important stuff. And, uh, and you know, he was, uh, he was telling me that um, he, uh, <laughs> i got to get this right, you know. I don't know what to talk about. Right. Um, oh, yeah, I was going to say that, culture, uh, that rock climbing is a culture-making event, too, right? You know, they, I don't know if you know about rock climbing, but they take a rock and then they define a problem on it. So you say, you know, you put your hand here, one foot here, boot this. And all of a sudden, if you do that first, do that route first, you get to name that problem or that rock. You know, so Art, Art Lim, he's named one artificial limb. He has, he's, he's named a rock. And what you're doing is you're taking, they're taking God's world and they're making something of it. They're, uh, they're, they're naming it, they're transforming it, they're making it into a sport. And, um, and actually right now is kind of the peak of, uh, rock climbing season um, uh, in a week or two is the state comp uh, is coming up, and there was a competition just um, I guess last week, and uh, Art was Art was in there. He's like he's competing against this guy who like won the World Cup or something, and everyone's around. Art's Art's doing this one uh, this one climb is like a V you know V seventeen like uh, that's probably wrong. Um, <laughs> And, uh, and he's trying to do some crossover maneuver, and his hand slips, and so he's, he's holding on one, by one hand, and, and he's just grabbing, grabs on as hard as he can, trying not to let go. And uh, all of a sudden, there's this huge pop in the room, and everyone's like, oh, whoa, you know, what was that? The, the, the wall's breaking off or something. And it was Art's, uh, one of the tendons in his finger that goes all the way down here. It snapped, and he keeps holding on. You know, it's like... <laughs> Cliffhanger pulls himself back. I mean, that's, I mean, that's hard. I've done stuff like that, you know, where you're one hand apart. That's, that's not easy. And he uh, pulls himself up, finishes the climb. Everyone's like, yeah, are you, are you the man who finished it? And, uh, but you know what? He's out for the season. He's got the state comp coming up. He's not going to be able to, uh, to climb in it. And, you know, he, he was saying, you know, it's, it's weird. Like a couple years ago, that would have just devastated me. I, I would have been depressed. Uh, I, I, I couldn't have been able to handle that. I've been training all, uh, all season for this comp, and I'm, I'm right, right in, in it. He says, but you know, it's like, you know, I've, God's got something in this. God's working something in my life, and uh, it's not that important. That's huge. I mean, that's amazing. What's happening is that um, climbing is something that's good. You know, Art works hard at it. He trains at it. He loves it. He's in the community. He's involved in it. It's a good thing, but it's not the, it's not the important thing. It's not like this is the thing that I'm really serious about. This is not the thing that's defining me. And uh, what Jesus, uh, um, and you know, by God's grace in his life, um, the stuff that Jesus is doing in his life is the real important thing. That's the real thing that has the weight and the seriousness to it. And, you know, it's almost amusing in this passage how this passage communicates this. You know, you have all these guys that are they're culture makers. They're, um, they're making bronze and iron and, and music and stuff. And then in, in chapter 5, let's just pick up in verse 6. This is what it says. When Seth lived 105 years, I'm going to read this fast, so I don't, I'm not going to read this whole thing. When Seth lived 105 years, he fathered Enosh. Seth lived after he fathered Enosh 807 years and had other sons and daughters. And all the days of Seth were 912 years. And he died. 
When Enos had lived 90 years, he fathered Kenan. Uh, Enos lived after he'd fathered Kenan 815 years, and he had other sons and daughters, and all the days of Enos were 905 years. And he died. <laughs> and on and on, and they died. You know, the, the writer is really hammering that the Annie died. You know, the, uh, uh, he's re- the Bible's recording the lives of these primal men. I mean, centuries. They're living for... I mean, they're doing stuff they must have thought was so important. And the Bible records them. He said, yeah, he was born. He had a kid, had some more kids, and he died. That was it. He died. Whatever they thought was important was not as important as they thought. And then, until there's an exception, verse 21 centuries are just going by, people thinking they're doing important stuff, and then there's an exception, verse 21. When Enoch had lived 65 years, he fathered Methuselah. Enoch walked with God after he'd fathered Methuselah 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Enoch were 365 years. Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. The Bible says that the exception, the exception to this, just people thinking they're doing important things, and you know what, they're going to die is that Enoch walked with God. He walked with God. Do you walk with God? You know, I was thinking about that little phrase, walking with God, and generally when, I, when I've read that, I've thought more about God walking with me. Like, I, God's involved. I'm doing stuff. I've, I've got dreams and plans, and God's getting involved. He's coming along. He's helping me. He's blessing me, making sure everything goes well. And, uh, you know, and God does that. Certainly God does that. But what that's saying is I got a storyline and God come along and, you know, make my storyline go well, uh, how I'm planning it, right? But, you know, if that's how Art was looking at his situation, he's like, listen, I've been training, I see, I'm seeing the state comp, and, uh, and then his finger busts, and what's he going to say? God, where, where are you? Why aren't you walking with me? Why aren't you walking with me in my story? And what Enoch walking with God says, I'm going to walk with God in his story. God is doing something. And that's by God's grace what's happening, what, what's going on with art is that, uh, is that he's saying God's doing something. And I'm aligning my life with what God is doing. That's what Jesus means by being in the world but not of the world. The thing that's defining your storyline is what is Jesus doing. And, uh, you know, because the fact is, you know, art's going to get old. He's not going to be doing V12s when he's... Maybe he'll be doing when he's 70, but, you know, like, for me, you know, preaching, how important is preaching? I mean, how, I'd be shocked if any of you could tell me what one of my sermons from July was about, you know? I mean, that would be, it, it's important, it's a good thing, it's my calling, and yet Jesus is the ultimate thing. And, um, <coughs> excuse me. So let me ask you, uh, what is the thing that burns in your heart and you say, this is important stuff? You know, you say to your wife, important, come on, this is, t- take this seriously, this is important, all right? Um, and uh, what God is doing in Jesus is a complete restoration of his whole creation. Forgiving sins, saving the lost, good news to the poor, it's huge, it's big. It's the one thing that we can say, wow, that is, that's beautiful, that is big. And, um, and, you know, in this passage, there is a transformation that happens. Of, 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 and, and it really happens in a family. A broken and messy family. Adam and Eve have rebelled against God. Um, their son, Cain, has murdered his brother. Their family is a mess. And uh, look at what happens. It actually happens with Eve. It begins with the, the, the wife in this family. It says, look at chapter 4, verse 25. And Adam knew his wife again. And she bore a son and called his name Seth. 
For she says, God has appointed for me another offspring instead of Abel, for Cain had killed him. Now, all commentators say that this reference to an offspring is talking about Genesis 3, when God promises that the offspring of the woman will come and uh, uh, crush the serpent's head. And what Eve is saying is, God has, has an offspring. I'm, I'm remembering that promise. And you know what the whole Old Testament is about? It's about following the line of Seth, from Seth to Enoch to Noah uh, to Abraham to Isaac to Jacob to Judah to David to Solomon, all the way down to Jesus. That the hope that is in the line of Seth is her hope in Jesus, that God has promised an offspring. And, that, um, and when that happens, when Eve reorients her life of saying, this is the important storyline, it says that this family began to call on the name of the Lord. And so, um, let me just uh, tell you, to say that I want to walk with God, <clears throat> I want to be with him in the story uh, uh, that he is writing, um, is like he, Eve is to believe in Jesus. That is the beginning of a reorienting, is believing in Jesus. And you know what? You get all the other things. Art still gets the rock climb. You know, he still gets to do it. And yet, it's not, the, it's not the ultimate thing. It doesn't devastate him. And Jesus becomes the important thing, and your life transforms. Uh, may God do that in each of us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. And uh, we do pray that you would show us the storyline, that we would walk with you, that we would be able to follow where you are leading and see where you are walking. Would that be our comfort to be with you? And uh, we thank you for your word. May your spirit um, just uh, work in each one of our lives. You know each one of our situations. You know each one of us, the things that we think are more important than Jesus. And I pray that you would give us repentance and that we would turn to him and find your grace. And I pray this in Christ's name. Amen.